0: Oh, welcome to the Long Timers Workshop. My name is Elisa. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi, Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, before we get started, We ask that all cell phones or electronic uh, devices be turned off. We remind you that uh, this session is being taped. All speakers must sign the release form. To protect the anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of the individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or OA as a whole. The format for this session is as follows. We will have three speakers who will share their uh, who will share for twenty minutes each, followed by three minute open pitches until the end of the session. The topic for this session is long timers prospecting over the long haul. Uh, okay. The following is a reading from the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous, pages uh, 20 20 and 21. Um, At one time or another, um, since we joined OA, most of us have experienced a period of complete freedom from the obsession with food and the compulsion to overeat. For many of us, this freedom came when we took step three, and turned our entire problem over to our higher power. Suddenly, we no longer thought much about food and eating. When mealtime came, we ate moderately, felt satisfied, and stopped eating. It was as if some miracle had given us a healthy attitude about food and eating. For, For most of us, however... This this reprieve didn't last forever. Gradually, food regained uh, its dominance in our thoughts. Eventually, the day came when we wanted food we didn't need, and staying away from uh, eating compulsively became more difficult for us. Did this mean we really hadn't taken step three after all? Sometimes that was the case. But usually it meant the OA honeymoon was over. What we needed now was a way of being abstinent over the long haul and living sanely through the good times and bad. Okay, I'd like to welcome our first speaker, Tom, from Sacramento.
1: My name is Tom, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Great to be here. I'd like to thank the the committee for asking me to do this, as always. And, uh, you know, my story is best told by this license plate I used for many years. I don't use any longer. But it's a California license plate, and it says I-O-O-A. And uh, I got this when I had three years of abstinence in 1992, and I used it for several years. And that just absolutely tells my story. Um, When I say I'm grateful to be here, I'm grateful to be abstinent. And... um, I well, I better do the numbers first. As long timers, uh, my first meeting was in uh, July of 1979, and my absent date is January 15, 1989. So I've been in the program 33 years, and I'm going to say this time, I've been absent for what 23 years. I think 23 years or six months, and uh, believe me, I'm grateful because uh, I always say I'm a good example of a bad example. You know, <laughs> see, I had a disease that told me I didn't have a disease. You know. It told me you don't really have this thing i came in i went to Roosevelt general hospital uh july 1979 you don't really have this thing you know but i went anyway and uh it all went over my head you know the, the steps and traditions and, and uh, i just thought it was like a diet club and i went back the next week and i said i would say i lost two pounds this week and that'd be my whole share i'd look around real angrily you know <laughs> and um so uh my first 10 years 10 years in oa i gained uh, another hundred pounds and uh then I got real willing. And uh, I was in and out, in and out. So finally, I just decided in um, fall of 88, I'm here to stay. I'm not leaving. You guys can't get rid of me, even if you try. So you're stuck with me. And I've been coming back uh, since then and, and, and abstinently since, uh, like I say, January of uh, 1989. And, uh, you know, it's been so long now, the dates are, you know, the, uh, sometimes I forget the dates. But that morning, what happened was, I uh, I went to work, and uh, I was a a firefighter for the city of Sacramento for 30 years, and I was over 300 pounds in a job that I was supposed to be 180 pounds or 200 pounds at the most. And I had had a pair of pants on, a pair of wool pants that was so tight, I had um, like, like it cut me. I had like incisions around the belt line. Uh, They were so tight, they were like size 46 or 48, and I was easily a 50. And and um, and I had like a polyester shirt on that where the buttons popped out, and um, so that morning, I went to, on my way to work. I stopped and got my food for the day. And, um, you know, although I ate a lot less than I ate today, that day was abstinent. I woke up the next morning, and I had 24 hours of abstinence on January 16th, 1989. And I was not willing to give up 10 minutes of it. And uh, 23 years and six months later, I'm not willing to give up 10 minutes of it. I'm a hog. I want it all. You know, I want all the good. If this wasn't better than that, I'd still be out there, believe me. So what I did that day was, uh, was uh, I was in a fire station, and, I, and uh, I went in the bathroom, got on my knees, and I prayed for two things. First thing was none of the other guys would walk in while I was on the bathroom floor on <laughs> my knees. And the second thing was that God would remove this obsession. And um, he did. Something did. A higher power did. And like I said, I woke up that next morning with, with uh, 24 hours of absence, been absent ever since, you know, one day at a time. And um, it hasn't always been easy, but what I owe the whole thing is to the legacies. The three legacies: recovery, unity, and service. They talk about it in the big book and in some of the other literature. And I'm, I don't, I'm not a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not an alcoholic. I don't go to. I went. I did go to an AA meeting a few months ago to support a friend. But I've read the literature and I've read it. Uh, uh, Doctor Bob and the Good Old Timers Pass It On books like that. And they talk about the legacies. They talk about recovery, meeting the steps, and unity being the traditions, and service being the concepts. And I'll tell you. Without the three legacies, I wouldn't be. Without service, I wouldn't be here. You know, I got plugged into service real heavily early on, um, in, because I knew I knew enough that in, in 1989 or 88, I knew that if I got into service, I would have to come back whether I wanted to or not because I had too much pride and too much shame not to come back. And that's really what it was. You know, it wasn't because I was some sort of a benevolent person who wanted to help others. You know, I wanted to help me. This was all about me. You know, I drove by, I remember driving by a Jenny Craig and seeing, a, seeing 189.50, all the weight you could, wanted to lose. And I said, "OA oh, only costs a buck, you know, to <laughs> go there. You know, so, and that's really what kept me, that's, that was what my, the, the whole matrix on that decision was, 189.50 or a yeah. dollar. But the truth was, is I know Jenny Craig wouldn't work. You know, I tried that stuff before. And, and so I came back to OA. And uh, so the first service I did was... Um, I got absent on, a, I think it was a Sunday. I was at work that day. Uh, no, Yeah, I got off the next day on a Monday. I worked 24 hours. shifts. So I got off on a Monday morning. And um, I think it was the next Tuesday. It was, it was Monday. I think it was Monday morning. There was, a, there was a meeting in Citrus Heights, which is about 15 minutes from, miles from here. And um, I went to the meeting. I met a guy that would become my sponsor. And um, I asked him the next day if he'd be my sponsor, and he said he would. And it was the first sponsor I'd ever had. And Because uh, again, I was going to do it my way and you know, by myself because I didn't need any help, and uh, and so I started secretarying that meeting, and I secretaryed that meeting for quite a while, and eventually I was very small. Meeting unfolded, but I knew that was the secret to this thing. But to, for the longevity, for the long haul, was going to be in the in the, uh, the in service in, uh, uh, in that aspect of the of the three legacies, and so I started. Uh, Secretary of meetings. Uh, I would always secretary meeting, and then I uh, uh, went to. Then I lost. That, then I lost 100. And f- uh, my top weighs over 300 pounds. Oh, that's 140 pounds. The first year to the. This is amazing. To the day I lost 125 pounds, and um, so then I went to a convention in Los Angeles, and I heard uh, Iris speak. The guy that spoke last night, and a few other people speak at the 100 pound uh, 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 session. And I remember there was like 200 people in the room. It was somewhere in L.A. And I call it call, I call anything south of Fresno, I call it L.A., okay? <laughs> so it was somewhere in L.A. And um, so, um, so I, they asked, how many people in this room have lost 100 pounds or more? And they're like, 75 people. I was like shocked because at that time, like, I, was, I only knew one or two people besides myself had lost that much weight. And I thought, oh, and then they, this was, then they talked about having a hundred pounds. See, I've, I've never had an original thought in my whole life. It's, oh, they got a hundred pound meeting in Los Angeles. I'm going to start one in Sacramento. So I went home and uh, I got a meeting. St- I got a room, got the stuff, got a book, got a resentment, got the coffee pot, got all the stuff ready to roll. And uh, so I started this hundred pound meeting. And uh, so I'm sitting there by myself. <laughs> like, okay, who's going to come? This is a flop. And then I see a set of headlights. Got a meeting. There's two of us, okay? There was 14 that night, 50 a few weeks later, and then over 100 for quite a while. That was a big meeting. And uh, it had to move, and it's much smaller now. We had to move from the temple it was at because uh, the temple was firebombed. And uh, I went to the fire. It was, like, it was like my own house was on fire. It was like horrible night. I heard B'nai Israel Temple, 3600 Riverside Boulevard. Oh, my God. That's home. And um, so we had to move from there. And then I went to um, Hawaii, my, fr- my first sponsor moved to Hawaii, and I went to a meeting in downtown Honolulu, and it was, it was called All About Abstinence. And I told the guy, you might as well just give me a copy of this format, because I'm going to steal it, I'm going to take it back to Sacramento, and I'm going to start All About Abstinence in Sacramento. And uh, I never made any bones about the fact that it wasn't my idea, the book wasn't my idea, the format wasn't mine, but I stole it, you know. And, um, so that was, that turned out to be a big, in the meantime, I'm having to go to these meetings because I was the guy who started them and my ego and my head told me, well, you got to show up, you know? <laughs> and uh, and then, uh, and then I heard about another meeting, a meditation meeting with someone in, in Marin County and I'd never been to a, a 12 step meeting that just focused on meditation. So I thought, I'll do that. So, I, so, so I, I, started a Friday night meeting. So pretty soon I had a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night meetings I'd started. And then, a two, and then someone just, re- I forgot about a men's meeting I started. I don't go to it anymore. Uh, a Tuesday night meeting. I started that and a few others. And what I'm trying to say is that service got me so plugged in I couldn't unplug if I wanted to, you know. <laughs> and then we had a we had a retreat. We had a, a retreat center in Citrus Heights, and I went to the retreat. I couldn't stand that place. It was hot. The rooms were hot. I was so close to home. I was going home all the time. So I got some a couple suggestions for a retreat center, and I went up to the mountains, and we went to this place, and it was a religious place, and. They, ve- they serve vegan food only, and that's fine because I don't eat meat or fish. Thank you. And, um, and I, that's, that's, but they don't serve coffee. Out of the question. This is out of the question. If I can't have coffee, this is out of the question. So uh, I, had a, I had myself and Bonnie and a few other people in the car, and we went cruising around. We found this, another place. that was Stanford University, very expensive. We wound up in the Zephyr Point Retreat Center, Presbyterian Retreat Center. Oh, my God, it was beautiful. And I said, and so I told him, I said, could you please let us come in here? And he goes, well, once you're in, you're in, but it's hard to get in. You can come back annually, but we haven't got a spot. Then they finally said, we got a spot the third weekend of August. Can you do it? I go, absolutely. And we've been there now for 17 or 18 years. And, and, and so, and I got plugged, real plugged into that. And what, what I'm saying is the longevity comes from the service and the steps and the, and the traditions, you know. And, and I was a little fat kid, man, in Pennsylvania, and uh, I remember watching this Leave It to Beaver show on TV. And, and by being on my, on my. In those days, the televisions were about this big, you know, and the screen was about this big, you know. I remember watching Beaver and Ward and June and, and Wally and looking over my shoulder and saying, man, that is not the Beaver family back there. You know, I was not part of the Beavers, you know. And, and, uh, and so I got the food thing real early on, you know, as a, as a little kid. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also an uh, adult child of an alcoholic family. I, find, I, I have found out since then. You know, I'm not, there was a lot of alcoholism in my, in my family. And, and, I was, and I sought refuge from the, the fear and the anxiety with food at two or three years old. You know, I was the fattest kid in every, every class I was ever in. And it talks about that in the big book. You know, men and women eat essentially for the effect, effect produced by the food. It says that in the doctor's opinion. And see, what I, didn't, I always thought I was enjoying the food, but I was enjoying the effect produced by the food. Until the food stopped working, you know, food doesn't work anymore. I talked about that in the, the reading we just we just heard. You know, it stopped working, and then I was really at a loss. You know, and I, like I said, I was in and out of OA for a long time. And I share about this this uh, one of my qualifying stories was uh, I went on this back. I, I'm going on a, uh, I'm going to be off the grid for a month here, coming in two weeks. I'm going on a, a backpacking trip on the John Muir Trail, and I'll be off phone everything for in the wilderness for three or four weeks. And I always share about this one story. As I was on a backpacking trip uh, years ago and stole this guy's candy bars out of his pack. I just couldn't help myself, you know. I, was like, I couldn't help myself. You understand. You've been there. I could not help myself. I stole two candy bars out of this guy's backpack. I was humiliated. He knew I did it. I knew he did it. He never mentioned it. I go, this is beautiful. <laughs> it's the kind of friend I need. So, so anyway, so he wound up marrying my ex-wife. And uh, I got, he did. I got to speed this one up now. I'm running out of time. But uh, so fifteen years later i 'm with my current wife, who I met in OA and divorced in o a and didn 't find it necessary to eat, getting married or necessary to getting divorced. We go to Santa Rosa to pick up my son, I know they were napped at the time, and i thought oh i 'm going to susan i 'm going to stop and get these candy bars and replace them for Chris. I stole off Chris fifteen years ago, so I I stopped and got them, got the right candy bars, put them in my jacket pocket. I got there. I said, Chris, by the way, remember, I told him the whole story. I took the candy bars out. You know what he said? They're the wrong size. <laughs> so if you think, if you think you, when you get to step nine and you think you might have got away with it, you probably didn't. You know? You know? But, I mean, since then, it's like through the steps, absolutely. The, the, the steps is a key to my personal recovery, you know, and the traditions have been the key to our joint recovery, you know. They're the ties that bind us. And it's only through understanding and application that they work and they work for us. And then the service makes the other triangle. It's a triangle, you know. It's, it's recovery, it's unity, and it's service. And they all work together. And thank God, without those three, I wouldn't be here today. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Tom. I'd like to, I'd like to welcome our second speaker, Rebecca. Rebecca.
2: That's so funny that Tom talked about stealing because I was a liar, so thieves and liars and f- <laughs> what do you listen to this for um Rebecca compulsive overeater you know it's always so easy to tell your own story, but when they when they want you to do a topic, then I have to talk about not me <laughs> so to qualify I mean here this is a long timer, so I have twenty nine years uh, started. May 12th, 1983. And, uh, yeah, it's hey, go ahead, go ahead, give it to me. <laughs> you know, Tom, i got to milk it. You know, uh, I've known Ada and Tom for decades now and uh, couldn't be more proud to be here on the podium with them because they have fabulous programs. But after a while, when I hear them speak, it sounds just like me. So he really did steal his whole talk from me. <laughs> when he talked about service and success, you know, I've really come to believe that success without service, in other words, success not shared, is a failure. And I oh, I know you hate that. Because, Believe me, do you think that Tom was saying that success is a joyous thrill ride of love? No. I could get so effing petty. You should take a nickel off that because I just said effing (laughs) if you buy the tape. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I I can. It's embarrassing to say it, but I can. I think they didn't show up on time. I've got to go. Blah, blah, blah. I do it because success without service is not a success. I want to be here. I want to be of service to you. Not just because I'm so grateful. That's easy. But because, you know, selfishly, I know that without you, it's like that Trailer Park Girl. Without you, I'm nothing. That's what it reminds me of. Without you, I'm nothing. I, I am. Uh, gosh, I'm a little nervous. I'm sorry. Um, I made some notes, but then of course I got them out of context. So yeah, I take my I take my program seriously, but I take I take myself lightly. That's that's my best bet. I take my program very seriously, but I I don't think that I'm so important anymore. I can handle almost anything because of this program, because of God. My relationship with God is really rock solid. I had a God when I came in. A lot of people don't like to hear that, but I did. I had a God, and I prayed to God. But like it says in the big book, it was wide, but it wasn't deep. It was like a tissue paper. It was so easily it was so fragile, so easily destroyed. I, was, I treated him like Santa Claus. Um, why didn't you give me that parking space? How come everybody has a good marriage but me? How, you know, just a lot of whining crap. I always think, he must be so glad to have me on his side. <laughs> I tell him sometimes, too, and I really mean this. If you would only follow my advice... <laughs> Things would be so much better. (laughs) So we'll talk about that someday, I guess. But today, anyway, I have to follow his rule, which is to be of service to you, to abstain and to be of service to you. Really simple. Having had a spiritual uh, uh, awakening as a result of these steps, it doesn't say if you do this perfectly, you're going to have a spiritual relationship. If you do it my way, no, it just says having worked these steps, you are going to have, it's a guarantee. How many guarantees do you have? But to keep it, you've got to give it away. You've got to keep going with it. When I sponsor people, and I have people that I sponsor in this room, duress, I'm sure. But um, I tell them, you know, I'll, I'll never fire you, and I never will. I pray for them every day. Every day, every single person I sponsor, I, I expect them to go to meetings, uh, work the steps, and do service. There's actually a couple of other ones I put in. My car shined. No, no. <laughs> My shoes. No. But, and to do service. And if, so I never have to fire anybody, do I? Because if they don't do those things, then basically they've, they've fired me. So it makes it easy. I, um, I'm a garden variety compulsive overeater, meaning that, as, as you shared about when you read the third step, I wake up thinking about food even still. And when I go to, like, a buffet... I didn't eat it this lunch today. It looked nice, but I had a, a, another plan. But I still went and looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's really sad. And I know my my sponsor told me... Because I was telling her I was watching c- cooking shows sometimes, you know, soft porn. <laughs> but I was wa- And I watch them, you know, because I still cook at home and I have a family. But I would... Um, It didn't bother me. It didn't make me want to eat. It really... I'm serious. It didn't. But she said, you know, I think you ought to give it up because she can't do it. Well, I thought, okay, I don't want to be defiant. I gave it up. And you know what? It's better without it. It really is. I didn't make anything I ever watched. It's like watching Jack Lane exercise. You know? (laughs) You go, Jack. You go. (laughs) But I never... I don't think I ever made one of those things. But just that that... And so I didn't, I just, um, I, I like it not doing it. I like not being involved in that kind of stuff. I've been to many people's homes in this room probably, and they have big stacks of cookbooks and George Foreman grills and griddles and <laughs> bacon makers and I don't know what that's. I mean, you got to wonder, you know, but that's that's sometimes who we are. Food is just the most fantastically beautiful thing I've ever seen. I mean, by God, who invented that? That is so beautiful. Uh, it's just like going to Tiffany's or something. But but here's the thing. It doesn't have any power over me. I can appreciate it for what it is. Beautiful. <laughs> but it doesn't, I don't, but it's not my master. You know, and that's the way it used to be. If I wanted it, I didn't know. I didn't have to have it. Yes, master. So I came to OA and I got this thing. And I cannot tell you how, what a relief it was. I came in and I got, I, I, right away, I was so bottomed out. There was no place left for me to go. That's another thing. I had no place left to go. There was no pay and way, there was no diet guru, there was no good housekeeping magazine. There was no, nothing else. I had tried them all, and even if I didn't try them, I had that intuitive thought, this isn't going to work. And I remember one time, I paid a lot of money, and my husband and I were just newly married, and there was a thing, I can talk about it now because it's out of business, but it was chic, and they would tie you up to electrodes, and they would have you eat all your favorite foods, and you'd open your mouth and look in the mirror, and you're supposed to be all grossed out, whatever, and I, I just cried on the way home because I thought, oh, this was so much money. It was like three hundred dollars. That was a lot of money then. And poor, my poor husband. He, he's going to still have a big fat wife, but less than three hundred dollars. <laughs> I, I think I did. I was able to sort of white knuckle through that, and probably lost a few pounds. But I couldn't keep anything off naturally. So yeah, I just, um, I, I. I, I do. I still think about food. I Let's see. What else do I have here? Oh, have I ever wanted to leave OA? I think that's important to address. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I had the pink cloud. I got absent right away. I liked you guys. I thought you would like. were super duper. And then you stopped being that way. Thank you. Yeah, you stopped being so adorable. You were irritating me. You talked too much, or you talked too little, or you talked about boring things, and I wasn't being entertained, (laughs) or whatever it was. I don't even know. Actually, I don't remember. 29 years ago, gosh. Um, But I remember I just didn't like it. But I didn't have any place else to go. I couldn't even. Now, at this point, because we are a billion dollar industry, there was something new. That's the one thing the big book talks about. Someday science may accomplish this. Talking about alcoholism. It's not going to do it for us. They still study us and all that jazz. But we are a billion, billion, multi-billion dollar industry. They're not working real hard and curing us. So there is a lot of new things. And there's been a thousand things since. And so I couldn't even I didn't even pretend that that was going to work. I knew. I'd been through it so many times. In fact, some of these have revolved. They're back again. Um... Atkins is back again, again, you know, every time you turn around. But one of the things that I think is important to say is I was so hooked into the service and the people that I loved that I really, I couldn't figure out how to leave. And it passed. I have a, I've been married 39 years. And that's the way it is with my marriage, too. Anybody who has a long relationship... Even if it's your job or something like that, yeah, every day's not the Fourth of July, unless you consider fireworks up your nose a fun time. sometimes it's really hard it's really uh, are you kidding me? Are you serious you and you know you can say that about anything that's long and ongoing because what did I sign up for? I lived in my head since I was a little tiny girl. I lived in my head. Do you really think that when I was a little girl, I wanted to be at a podium talking? To us? Are you. Yes, I was doing this. I was at a podium, but it was more like the Nobel Prize people or the Academy Award. That's what I signed up for. So, and when I had 19 years, I wanted to leave again. And this was more serious. What happened was a very primary relationship in my life was going south. It was so painful. It was so. Horrible! I prayed and prayed and prayed and talked, and tried to take the high road. Why do we take the high road? Because the low road is so crowded.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and I, I and I, I, I couldn't believe this was happening. I just was so uh, did not want this to happen. And so instead of tearing apart that relationship or letting that relationship be destroyed, I decided to leave OA. I didn't get that for a long time. I really didn't get it. I wanted to tear it out. It's like tearing out the best part of me to leave you. But that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, and I actually talked to all my sponsees, and I said, I'm getting out, I'm leaving. And they said, I have somebody in the room that did this. They said, okay, but I just need to give you my writing. (laughs) (laughs) And I stayed, because what am I going to do? You know, send her down the river? (laughs) Yes, I've been disenchanted. I'm not saying this to be negative. I'm saying this because it's a long relationship. It ebbs and flows. I've always been grateful for OA. I've always been grateful. But I've had those moments where I've thought, you belong there. I'm moving on. (laughs) It's just ego. I never have left. Never. I've never, ever left. You meet a lot of people that come and go and come and go. I couldn't have done it. That's exhausting. Every time you come in, you have to tell people, yeah, I'm back again. So I think that's about all I have to share right now, but you'll hear me the rest of your life. Lucky, lucky, lucky you. Oh, I did want to share this. S- scientists have studied uh, p- people. Of course, they've been doing this since Caveman. And they've, de- they've decided that everybody everybody in this room and everybody in the world changes every 10 years, sometimes in a big way and sometimes in a small way. But everybody changes every 10 years. And they've decided that they change because of the books they read and the people they hang around with. And I, I'm a compulsive overreader. I read everything. I, I, I love to read, you know, because it's an escape. But the, the most important books I've read are all my OA literature, over and over again. And I've hung out with you. And so you've changed me. And I know you've changed me for the better. You might disagree. <laughs> no, I, I am free because of you. And there's nothing you could ask me to do that I wouldn't do. I'm free because of you and because of OA, the 12 steps. You're never bored if you're working the steps, by the way, because you're getting a master's degree in yourself. Mm-hmm. So I thank you for asking me to share, and thank you for your service. And I can't wait to hear Ida. And thank you, Tom. You're wonderful. I'd like to, I'd like to
0: welcome our next speaker, Ida.
4: My name is Ida. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, well, I'm sorry to hear that about the books we read because I just finished my eighth Rizzoli and Isles <laughs> murder mystery. And if you've ever read Tess Gertensen, the woman was a doctor, and I'm telling you, her descriptions of autopsies are. This is outside <laughs> literature, but. <laughs> And my husband is just, you know, I look like such a lady, don't I? I'm some, you know, but I, uh, murder mysteries are my favorite, you know, and I'm putting all of this in my head, so be careful. <laughs> Anyhow, on April 16th, 1975, I called Overeaters Anonymous. Nobody answered. It was 7 o'clock at night, and this was, I am so old. It was before answering machines. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So the next morning, but I knew it was all over with. I knew, and uh, I was not struck abstinent the next day because I fully paid for it. My abstinence was not a gift. I paid for it. I bought it with years and years of suffering. And uh, I'm a 100-pounder. I came in at uh, 225 pounds. My top weight was 240 pounds. And uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I lost uh, the 100 pounds in, uh, well, how long was it, 14 months. Yeah, 14 months. And and that was all I wanted to lose was 100 pounds, and I've lost more since, but uh, not of my own doing. I have no idea how that happened, but I, um, so I've been passing for normal for 36 years. And I've been abstaining for 37 years because that next morning I got up and I started to abstain from compulsive overeating, and I haven't had a, a binge since. Now, I have, um, now. so, so the, um, the standard answer to the question, you know, how do you become a long timer is uh, you don't eat and you don't die. But there's another very, very important aspect of becoming a long timer. You become a long timer. I became a long timer by learning to sit with my mistakes, which is much more difficult than not eating or not dying. Sitting with my mistakes. And I can tell you, uh, my 37 years of um, recovery are most definitely peppered with mistakes. But I get to sit with them. Be they with food or, um, you know, relationships or whatever. And... uh, I sponsored I was sponsoring a woman who was chronically going back to step 1 and saying this time I am admitting I am powerless over food and I am going to I'm you know I'm back to step 1 again and then a couple weeks later I'm back to step 1 and finally one morning after I don't know how many times of hearing this I just unloaded and I said to her No, you are not going back to step one. You are admitting, you are not admitting, I'm sorry, that you are powerless over food. What you are saying is that this time you're going to be perfect. And we we talk about... um, spiritual progress, rather than spiritual perfection. I would also say that applies to food. Abstaining is a learning experience. I can guarantee you I cannot do the same things with food that I did during my first 10, 15, maybe even 20 years. I can't do it anymore because I've learned more. But I cannot judge my behavior. I cannot judge my food let's say, my first 20 years in program by what I know now because I can't, I can't feel guilty about that because I didn't know any better. And I have learned that the source of guilt is judging past behavior on present knowledge. I know more now than I did then. Okay? So... I want to give a pitch for Beyond Our Wildest Dreams. It only took me, I don't know when this book came out, but it only took me from then until now to read it. Uh, I have done the, you know, the uh, AA literature, uh, the um, AA history books. Well, not AA comes of age, but uh, Pass It On, the book about Bill W. Changed My Life, and uh, the Dr. Bob book but not quite as much as the Bill W. book. So I don't know. I tried this book oh, some years ago, and I just couldn't do it. But this time, I did it by, guess what? Committing to another person that we were going to read it together. You know what that meant? Then I had to read it. And so I, I uh, oh, and my God, I thought, gee, I really am getting old. Because, you know, I remember the people in this book. I remember... Uh, there's How many of you have read this book? Good. Well, you know the part where they're talking about uh, the uh, World Service Convention where they decided to do Dignity of Choice the first time. And I'm sitting there. I was a delegate, and I'm sitting on, in the same row with Roseanne. And she's on the other side of the aisle doing her... Uh, she was quilting, I believe. And when they made that proposal, I saw her reaction, and she talks about it, and I remember her and how upset she was, and how, and I got, to, I, I got to see, I got to see this, and then I'm reading about it, and I think, I was there for this history, you know? I was at the first ever Region Two meeting in 1978. And uh, I've been ridiculously involved in Region Two ever since. <laughs> in fact, um, my husband and I—we uh, were doing a an count uh, of how many conventions we've been to. And I came to—I think I have been to 27 Region Two conventions, uh, plus I don't know eight or nine World Service conventions, plus all the birthday parties that I've been to. So I figure I've been to between 45 and 50 conventions. And I'm not quite sick of them yet. As a med- but I wasn't going to come here. You know why I came here? It wasn't because I thought I would hear some great program. I, became, I came here for the fellowship. I was at the birthday party, and the people from Sacramento got up, and they did their number. And I was watching them thinking, how can I not go to Sacramento and be with these whacked out people? <laughs> I, there are so many people in this area that I dearly love. And so I, I volunteered for registration, and I, sat at, I spent practically all of my waking hours at the registration table because I wanted to see all of you coming in. I came here for the fellowship because I, I no longer fear binging. Binging. That is not the same thing as saying I know for sure or I'm cocky about it or anything like that. I have enough confidence in the program of recovery that we have here, and I have enough confidence in my recovery to believe that um, that uh, I can abstain. That I can abstain. So I watched all these wonderful people came in. Come in. So I, but I, John and I drove up, I live in uh, the Los Angeles area, and uh, we were getting out of the car in the parking lot, and I was going to get out my driver's license and my credit card to check in, right? I reached into my purse, my card folder is not there. I'm 500 miles away from home, and I have no identification whatsoever. No credit cards, no driver's license, nothing, except my car registration, which doesn't have my picture on it. And I think, okay, we'll just put it on John's card, because this is the first time that I've left my stuff at home. So John starts feeling around. He left his wallet at home we have no no identification luckily i had separated my money from the credit cards we come to the desk and the first thing they ask for is your picture id right and i said i don't have it and then she turns to john and he doesn't have it either and she goes then they she goes and gets the manager sorry you can't stay here without a picture id and i and a credit card to cover your expenses and i go well what if we pay cash? And she goes, okay, so we bopped down to the bank. And for whatever reason, John had his checkbook with him. We, he didn't, you know, his, and a bank statement, go figure. But I was never so thankful that he did. So we go down to the bank, and they're casing us up and down. Our bank gives us money. We come back. They will not take our money without an ID about this time, I started to turn around and leave. But I wanted to say to them first, You don't understand. I am a member of a 12-step program, and I can't lie. If I lie, I will get fat. Now, I'm sure they would have understood this. Then, you know, somebody pointed out that if I had told them that, they definitely would not have wanted me in the... But it was, it was, you know, it's the truth. I have to live a program of honesty, otherwise I will get fat. So what happened, uh, the people were having the rehearsal for the, uh, the, the show last night, and so I thought, somebody is going to show up who knows me. There's got to be somebody in the, program, in the play that knows me. So I sat there and waited, and someone walked in, and they took his word, for who I was. <laughs> so you see, more I owe more than just my life to the fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous. I owe my room. <laughs> I owe the fact that I can be here. And uh, so we've had, we've had a really... I've had a really great time. So in this book, they tell a story... Uh, this book brought me to tears a couple times, one because of the beauty and also because of the craziness that was and that has been over Years Anonymous, particularly the food wars. Seriously, folks. I find it highly ironic that we here we are here because of an eating disorder and so many of us are still looking for recovery in a perfect food plan. Don't you find that ironic? Anyhow, here's this story and I happen to know this woman and now I've got to find oh shit, I took it out and now I don't I'm sorry, I, I excuse my language actually that's pretty mild <laughs> um, let, me, let me find it I, I really knew, do need to find this story because it was abs- oh here it is I don't know if you know a lady by the name of Natalie B. She's been, she's a long, long timer. She came in, and she was one of my. Um, she was actually the roommate of the woman who twelve stepped me into this program. And uh, this was a, one of the stories that Natalie told about the uh, 1974 convention. It happened in one of the marathons. Remember that gray sheet allowed two pieces of chicken. Someone said that chewing on the bones added more pieces Another member opposed that view And the argument began (laughs) Finally, after an agitated discussion The consensus was that the bones were inside the chicken And therefore could be counted among the original pieces Don't feel guilty for chewing on the bones. The majority triumphantly ruled. (laughs) Now, um, what I want to know is if I swallow them, if that makes it... I almost cried when I read this, because this is the kind of crap I've been putting up with for 37 years. And when I first came in, I didn't, I didn't uh, talk about how I ate because the divisions in Southern California were still very much there. There were the Moderate Mealers and the, the Grace Eaters, and I wasn't doing either. And so I kept my mouth shut for a really long time. Uh, I was... Uh, I was a weigher and measurer from day one because I knew I had to know how much I was eating. But I never have been a sugar and flour abstainer. And so I've had people smart-assly ask me, oh, so you, weigh your, you measure your ice cream? And I said, no, I weigh it. And that just freaks some people <laughs> out. But I weigh everything I eat. The, the only thing I don't weigh is cucumber and celery. And lettuce, and measuring was not precise enough. I had to weigh it. Okay, so uh, how do I get off on that? Okay, so I've had so I I kept it. Oh, and I also counted calories, and uh, they, and people would um, I would go to a meeting, and they would I would hear it read. We are not a calorie. Clubs, and i 'm going I would go home and count calories. well, then I found out that that 's what they were doing at the beginning, and that 's what Roseanne was doing before you know and uh, and it has absolutely worked for me, and that is all that counts uh, my now there 's this thing going around about having to define a bottom line abstinence what 's your bottom line what do you what if you do this you know if, what if you 're not abstaining? I refuse to write a bottom line abstinence. It's like daring me to do it. And what uh, all I know about the past thirty-seven years is that I have not done anything so horrendously wrong that I need to punish myself so drastically as to denying. That I am abstaining from compulsive overeating. If that is not good enough for you, I'm not sorry, but it is good enough for me, and that's that. And I hope. Uh, and and you see here, so I don't have a bottom line. But in my daily practice, I continue to weigh and measure my food, and I monitor my food, and uh, that that is what is working for me. I don't. Nobody that I sponsor eats like I do. I don't care how they're eating, as long as they're abstaining and they're either at a normal weight or working towards it. I adhere to the OA definition of abstinence, okay? And if it's good, and it's good enough for me, so um, I also need to come uh, to tell people also that I came into program uh, without a higher power. The group became my higher power. I started to believe in God. I prayed on my knees for 25 years. And then uh, one day I, I thought, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing here. Why am I doing this? And I got up, and I uh, haven't been on my knees since. And about oh, 11, 11, 12 years ago, I finally admitted from the podium that I'm an atheist. So if you're using step three as an excuse... Look at me. Okay. Not believing in God is not an excuse for not abstaining. And, not, and there's a great story in the fourth edition of the big book about this. The guy says, you know, believing or not believing has not been an, um, a hindrance to my spiritual experience. I have had a huge spiritual experience in this program. And, uh, <clears throat> and so I just need to tell you that, too, because that's part of my truth. Now, part, one of the quotes, Julie, am I almost done? Oh, crap. <laughs> uh, there, is, uh, there was one quote that is just totally wonderful uh, from uh, uh, something Roseanne wrote. And it's on page 206 of uh, this book. It says, remember, you are not alone. We are all with you all the time, even though you may feel lonely and far away from other groups. We in OA have suffered as you have. We have been helped by many powers outside ourselves. And we have been shown a new way to live. We say in all sincerity, come with us and let us show you the way. And as we reach out to you, we truly hope that you will take heart and put your hand in ours. Yesterday when I was at um, the registration table, the first of the newcomers came in. And that was just such a thrill. And today I was talking to one of them. And she was at the show last night. And she said, you know... What impressed me more than anything else in that room was the love you guys have for each other. She knows nothing of the 12 steps. She has not read a word of the big book, but she has read us. And we have changed that woman's life forever. And it wasn't the words in the book It's the love we have for each other. Thank you.
0: Uh, Okay, the meeting is now open for three-minute pitches. Please sign the form um, at the podium prior to speaking. We ask that you limit your shares to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. This session ends at 2.15, we would like to speak.
5: Not, we don't have an back. Okay, okay. Hello, my name's Carol Ann. Oh. Carolyn. I'm recovering and grateful and abstaining compulsive overeater. And I wasn't gonna speak. I thought, well, maybe I'll wait maybe till next year. I live in Oregon. I was visiting my daughter in Chico, and I ended up here. And I think I'm going to cry, but I wasn't going to talk till I heard Ida. And she doesn't know this, but I was one of those people in Southern California. I used to sit I do not remember Hilda. used to stuff envelopes with Roseanne, and you know, and we didn't like the moderate mealers. We were the Gracie people. And we didn't, we called them the Fat Serenity Group. (laughs) So there was a lot of, um, I'm just telling you this because it's kind of interesting, the history. And so we started our own, do you remember Southern Oregon? When the Southern Oregon Intergroup started down there, we started our own group so that we could kind of run it how we wanted to run it. And, um, there was an opening for a position of somebody to work there. And, um. I was 24 when I started in a way that was 1967, I think. And I prayed to God that he would find somebody to fill it because I didn't really, it looked like an interesting job, but I didn't really want to do it. And every month there would be nobody showed up that wanted this job working part-time. And anyway, I was working full-time. I had two kids. I'd gotten divorced. And for some reason, I ended up with that job because nobody else took it. And I felt like God said, okay, take it. I went twice as far to work every day and worked half, as, you know, worked half the day, making less money. But anyway, because of that, it changed my life. And I won't go into that whole thing. But I did want to share that um, uh, I, when I lost my weight, I made a joke. I used to say, I came in this program when I was 201. And I made a joke that, oh, just my luck, I'll get either pregnant or hit by a car. And, uh, well, you know, when you say things like that, a lot of times it happens. (laughs) Anyway, I ended up having two more children. I moved away from Southern California. And I did put my weight on, and I've noticed that I had a pattern of every five years putting my weight back on. I would take it off, put it on, take it off, put it on. I don't know what would happen if I'd stayed in Southern California, but it doesn't really matter now. But in 2011, in January, I realized that... You know, I had gained my weight back. There I was again, up to 200 pounds. In fact, I had one time been to 220. And I remember in the, in the um, I think it was AA Comes of Age, where it says you know, your sobriety is contingent on your um, spiritual condition. You have a daily reprieve contingent on your daily, on your spiritual condition. So I decided to dedicate my year to um, to getting to know God better and spending that time knowing God and it changed uh, slowly in a few months i started in a class i had at church that added more dimension to my understanding of what was wrong with me and what happened my shame was taken away and with the shame the shame was down there and that's why i couldn't keep the weight off and until that shame till i understood it and god removed it then my life changed and i'm abstaining now and it's interesting cuz i don't like to talk about how i abstain because it's so weird because I do what she does. Because one day when I was praying, this little small voice came through my head and it said, Count calories. And I thought, What? I don't want to do that. But anyway, it's worked for me. I've lost, well, I, I've lost like over 40, about 45 pounds, and, uh, plus the 20 I had taken off before. But I just want to say, really, whatever abstinence works for you, do that. But don't put anybody down because they're a modded mealer or a gray sheep person. We're all kind of in this together. And we'll find our own path, and it might change during the time. But anyway, I'm just so glad to be here. You have no idea what this means to me to be here in a group of you after coming from a little town in Oregon. Thank you so much.
6: Hi, my name's Ian, I'm a gratefully recovering compulsive overeater. I actually have a question for the panel and uh, if there's time at the end of the, all the shares if they could think about the question and, and they may have time to answer it. And that is, uh, I've been in program now for 26 years and when I joined it was new and wonderful and strange and foreign and exciting and all the rest of it. Uh, and over the years it's become rather plain and I've got rather blase about the program and I've started taking shortcuts. So the question I have is what do the panel panelists do to keep the program fresh?
2: What are <laughs> doing in Ask It Basket? No. Nope. Don't start anything.
7: My name is Lorraine, and I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Oh, boy. Um, I joined OA in uh, 1973. That was 39 years ago. Uh, I was about 24 years old, and when I first came in, I was, well, one of the really rigid people. Uh, I wanted to, to have some success. I'd never had any success in losing weight. I was always on an incline with my weight. And so I just wanted somebody to tell me what to eat and how many times to chew it. And I would, you know, hopefully have some weight loss. And I did. I started losing weight right away. And I remember fitting into that first dress that I thought, oh, my gosh, this is a miracle. And so I did that for a lot of years. Uh, And when I finally got to maintenance, which I've been uh, abstaining for about, it's probably been longer. But, you know, I'm really hard on myself. So I, I know I've been... Really clean abstinence throughout the past 15 years, but I haven't had sugar for even longer than that. But um, you know, my my bottom line—I've never heard of anybody talk about a bottom line abstinence. uh, My bottom line is I don't eat over my feelings. You know, if I if I start eating over my feelings, that's going in the wrong direction for me. You know, but uh, um, I I live—I started away here in Sacramento. And now I live in Yuma, Arizona. I mean, it's very remote. We're out in the middle of the desert. Um, there are not a lot of meetings there. And, like, during the summertime right now, there may be two. Well, we had a big meeting last a couple of weeks ago. We have, a, like, a Tuesday night meeting and then a noon meeting on Thursday. And the noon meeting had, like, five people. I mean, that's a big meeting for us during the summer. You, we've gone through summers where there was another girl and myself waiting and waiting for, and we're, you know, trying to attract newcomers, and uh, during the winter time, the population, like, doubles in size, so we get people from all over the country uh, coming to meetings, and and we have really good meetings. You meet people from all over, but, you know, really, being out there so isolated, I know I was going to a lot of phone meetings for a while, but I'm not doing that right now. Um, I just, I have wanted to talk to other long-timers just to sort of the words, some of the words that were said here today uh, um, when you were talking about a bottom line. Uh, just, I'm here for the long haul. I, it's an Im- Okay, thank you. It's a one minute... It's a one minute. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> I got one minute. Uh, it's a... I'm, I'm here for the, my, for the long haul. I, it's, it's not a perfect abstinence. But, you know, and sometimes my mind, really, my mind can say, hey, you know, I don't eat sugar, I don't eat junk food... Um, but you know what, I can. I did it so rigidly black and white for so long that now I just think, okay, Lorraine, lighten up, you know, I mean, certainly I'm not going to go back to eating the junk food or anything, but, you know, it, you're not a perfect person, I, I can think shades of gray now, but, you know, it's, it would help to talk to some people, you know, that uh, are doing what I'm doing, and yeah, this is normal, Right now, I'm just sort of talking to myself because everybody else is really pretty relatively new, you know, in the meetings I go to. So anyway, I just wanted to put it out there. And I really, I amaze myself because through the many years that I came to OA, I never jumped up and talked. I just, I never did. I just felt too uncomfortable. And I think, I think I've done it three times this time. And I think, thank you, God.
8: I'm Kipulso, a compulsive reader and bulimic in Bulimic and Recovery. This is the best panel I have ever heard. It's not just me. Rebecca, you can give me the $10 later. Um, my um, abstinence date is November 9th, 1988, and um, um, I am so grateful to continue to hear from people who have come before me that OA has a definition of abstinence. And that definition of abstinence is different than a food plan. And that together, those things keep me in the chair long enough to remember what you guys taught me, which is that the solution for all of this is in the 12 steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And the more that I focus on the food, the more my sponsor says, Oh, my God, if we weren't talking about the food, what would we be talking about? (laughs) We used to say in L.A., it's not what I'm eating, it's what's eating me. Thank you.
6: Amelia, and I'm a compulsive overeater. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've never spoken at one of these things before, so I'm going to focus on my writing. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for your guys' speech. I got so much uh, out of each one. I'm so nervous my heart is racing. Um, (sighs) Crying already. Okay. Sorry. I mean, I feel like a new old timer uh, because I only have I've been in program nine years I have eight years of abstinence, uh, so I don't have this double digits yet, but I do find that in like in my home group meeting'm you know they do this, this thing like we celebrate lengths of abstinence and i'm always the, the longest timer in my meetings now, and so I always kind of feel a little alone. So it's really great for me to hear it, all these people with double digits. I'm like, oh, wow, you guys are out there, you know? We always say that. Over 10 years, we're like, we know you're out there, and I'm glad that you're here. Um, yeah, it was about, it was December of this last year that uh, life had gotten a little crazy. I had, a, I had an issue that's been a recurring issue in my life that hasn't ever been solved, and I don't think ever will be solved, um, and I remember talking to my sponsor. I'm like, I'm done writing about it. I'm done doing all this stuff. I've written everything I could do. You know, I've worked my steps around this thing at, at all this, this time. I'm like, I can't do it anymore. And I was ready to walk out. I was like, I'm done. Program's not for me anymore. This is not, not the place for me to be. And um, but I was really grateful for having a friend in program that my commitment was to take him home at the end of the meeting because he doesn't have a car. And uh, if it wasn't for that friendship, I wouldn't be here because I had that commitment. I have to take him home. So I had to show up to the meeting and I had to stay to the end, you know, because I had to take him, take him back. And it was in one of these discussions, like we, we started doing fellowship afterwards, and um, I had lost all content with, with what program meant. I had like all these phrases, but they meant nothing to me. Once he kept saying, he got turned over, got turned over. And I was like, what does that mean? I have no idea what that means anymore. And so he told me that it was to stay out of the results. And I was like, I can get that. I can, I can get that. I can understand what that means, to stay out of the results of everything. You know, because end of, it was funny is that I had been losing weight and I had no idea. And I was like, it was, I had to stay out of the results of, it's not about losing weight. It's not about, you know, my numbers. Um, I do have a meeting. We have affirmations. And I'm like, my life is not defined by numbers. I don't weigh myself. I don't know how much weight I've lost. Uh, I know it, my size is down because um, I have to buy clothes, which I'm really going to recommend the that, that boutique out there. I got a lot of cool clothes out there. Um, but it was uh, staying out of the results of everything. And... Um, and it was around that same time that I finally um, was able to let go of overt sugars. And, and I'm not saying that's the solution for everybody or whatever, because I always thought I lost sponsors over them trying to get, get me to give up sugar. I was like, resentful. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. It's not my problem. It's not my issue. Um, but it was finally admitting, being honest with myself about what this disease was, finally understanding the allergy part of the disease and really understanding that's true and giving myself over and turning it over, that I am not unique and different, that I am like everybody else, and I have to do what everybody else has to do. Um, and then I got asked to help out at the birthday party, the OA birthday party because I'm from L.A. And I only got to do the, the entertainment committee night, and I got to see the show. And I was so blessed i have forgotten how we have to laugh at ourselves, you know, laugh at our disease, you know, that... that that, yep, of course I think like that, and other people do that too, and that really helped um, refresh my program, Uh, and so that's why I'm here today, and I'm very grateful for you guys. Thank you.
3: I'll say that for the mic. I'm Judy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Judy. And thank you, thank you to the panel. Um, I came in August 23rd of 1979, so I'm not claiming 33 years because it's three more weeks, and (laughs) this is one day at a time. I remember year four in a Modesto Friday night step study meeting. I was ready to leave, and we gathered and we were we were saying the Lord's prayer and i couldn 't even say it. I was just sob- just quiet sobbing, and when we finished, the person next to me just grabbed me and hugged me and took me aside and said, "What do you need to do tonight?" and I said, "Not eat." and she said, "Call me in the morning we 'll start over." and what it was i wasn't wasn 't binging or anything like that I, you know i 've abstained since eighty four but I felt like a fraud in Overdose Anonymous because the package looked good and I was screwy inside. And so it it was about um, what I've learned in this program is to work it like your life depends on it. But I don't beat myself up with the program. I just will, you know. We all have the grace to do it the way we want and let my sponsees do it the way they want. And how do I jazz up my program? I grab a newcomer. It is the newcomer that gets me, you know, back as they're working those first three steps and calling me every day and getting going, taking what a grace and honor to take somebody through that fifth step. And to see that, that's, that's what keeps me coming back. Um, for the long haul and this program gave me a life it just gave me such a big life and I remember thinking before I came in I had 70 pounds to lose and I couldn't lose five my life was narrowing I really felt my life narrowing and thinking my little kids you know I'd never be able to like go backpacking with them or scuba diving and things like that and guess what You know, after 32 years in program and with all these grown kids and stuff, I don't hike with them. I don't scuba dive with them. But I have a relationship with them. I have a relationship with them and a relationship with the people around me. And that's a gift to this program. So keep coming back. Thank you.
0: All right. That is all the time we have for sharing It is now time to close the session Let's thank our speakers and all who <laughs> And all who gave service to this meeting hey. uh, Okay, let's see Oh, um, if you've enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tapes table in or- to order copies of this session or any other sessions. All workshops and main speaker events are recorded and are available on CD or as electronic download. Uh, please join me as we close with a third step prayer that you'll find on uh, page eight of your program.